Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There we go. It is Thursday, May 16th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Sun-Times editor Evan Moore will join us. We welcome union woman Kim Ortiz, and it's Nicole Quintello, president of the American Federation of Government Employees. And now your host, definitely not a member of the American Federation of Government Employees. They'd hate his guts. <laughs> no. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Smartocracy City. And here's why. Look at the brain on Ben. <laughs> I read two editorials today, D. Not one, but two. One, two editorials. Urging Lori Lightfoot, please, Lori, please save us from aldermanic prerogative. Okay, I know you're all sick of this topic. I'm sick of this topic. Dennis is sick of the topic. Miles is so sick of this topic that he's going all the way to Europe so he doesn't have to hear about it anymore. You got room in that plane for me? <laughs> sick of this too. But there's a larger point, people. As long as everybody else in the world is going to advocate for the abolition of alderman and prerogative, I believe it is necessary for me to point out that it doesn't even exist. We're trying to eradicate a problem that is a fraudulent thing. It's a myth. All right. And you know what it underscores? I'll tell you what it underscores, D. You know what it underscores? What does it underscore? It underscores that we don't like democracy in the city of Chicago, that we are what I call a smartocracy. You know what that means? No. I don't know either. I just made it up. Oh, okay. It's a word in which the city is run by smart people. Not by, wow, they're smart and we're not. What what does Mayor Rahm always say? Uh, uh, I'm smart and you're not. Yeah, well, that's what we have here in the city of Chicago. Romtocracy. A Rahm smartocracy. Everybody's smart and we're dumb. All right, one more time. Let me break it down, folks. Aldermanic prerogative is a so-called practice in which aldermen have total control over what goes on their wards. I call it a so-called practice because it doesn't exist. Chicago, Chicago aldermen only control the little things that don't matter, that the mayor doesn't want to control, like awnings, sidewalk cafes, et cetera, et cetera. The mayor controls the big things, like, to give you one example, one $1.3 billion property tax handout that just went down to uh, developers to develop the 78 in the South Loop. The mayor said, give them the money. I don't care if it raises your taxes. I want to subsidize the development of upscale projects in a neighborhood that's already gentrifying. The local alderman, Byron Sitchell Lopez, said, no, I don't want it. Don't be for it. The rest of the aldermen said, the hell with you. We do whatever the mayor says. And the obedient puppets that they are, they voted to approve it. So, 
instead of getting rid of alderman prerogative, I think we should get rid of mayoral prerogative because that causes a lot more problems. Now, back to the issue of democracy. The Sun-Times and the Tribune editorial writers, like many smart people in the city of Chicago, want to take zoning issues out of the hands of the local aldermen. They want to put it in the hands of some city hall bureaucrat who owes his or her job to the mayor. Great. More power for the mayor. Just what we don't need. It's the mayor that's abusing his power on a grand scale. The aldermen just abuse their power on a little scale and participate in the abuse of power on the grand scale whenever the mayor says jump and then they go, how high? That is so Chicago, by the way, the notion that we give more power to mayoral aides and less power to the people. Let's think about this. Chicago is the only municipality in the state of Illinois that doesn't have an elected school board. Guess who appoints our school board? The mayor. Oh, great job you done with that school board. The last, the last CEO, two CEOs now ago, is now doing time at a federal penitentiary. Uh, for an insider deal that was approved by the mayor's appointed school board. Well, don't want to have democracy at the school board. How about a referendum and term limits? Pat Quinn, remember that, D? Passed, got 80,000 signatures to petitions. We had an election on it. Mayor's against it. Guess what? We don't even know what the results were. People voted. We don't even know what the results are. because Mayor Rahm's got it tied up in court. You don't get a say, peasants of Chicago. It's like... Just shut up and pay your taxes. No say on TIFs, no say on schools, no say now on zoning. Just give the mayor your property tax dollars. Like I said, folks, in Chicago, they hate democracy. We got a great show today, everybody. Evan Moore will be here in about mm, 30 minutes. Evan Moore from the Chicago Sun-Times. We're talking neighborhood issues, political issues, Sun-Times issues, whatever's on his mind. Uh, I'm going to ask him about the Bulls, D. I know. I might have to send you out of the room to talk about the Bulls lottery. It's not a sports oh, show. Oh, God. Did you, did you follow the lottery, though? Yeah. Oh, I'm so depressed. But I know that this is not a sports show. Hold on. I'm going to drink some wine. Okay. okay. We got nothing going on with that water. That's fine. We're not hosting a show or anything. It's all good. That's Jim Beam, Jack Daniels. Okay. No, it's not. Uh, Kim Ortiz will be here at uh, 2 o'clock, and uh, she is with Local 150. We're talking union issues. Uh, big decision went down uh, yesterday or a couple days ago. National Labor Relations Board uh, basically said that Uber and Lyft drivers can't unionize. Oh, there we go. The gig economy works well for everybody except for the people who are working in it. Uh, so we'll be talking that, about that and uh, other labor issues. And at 2.30, Nicole Cantello from the EPA. She's a lawyer from the EPA. She knows more about environmental issues than anyone else in the city of Chicago. Well, maybe as much as a lot of other people. She can also talk about the uh, the fights, the struggles that uh, EPA employees are having uh, with their agency. She's the president of the American Federation of Government uh, Governmental Employees. So a lot of environmental talk, union talk, political talk. It's all on tap. We're going to have a great show. As we say, farewell to Miles. Miles is heading off today. It's sad. It is sad. And um, I'm thinking of taking away his uh, airline ticket. Uh, (laughs) And using it? No, I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to Europe. I got a show to do. All right? Down to business, boy. Anyway, 
I hear you have some news, young man. Yeah, I do. Well, let's deliver it. All right. It's the middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Actually, before we do that, the uh, live stream chat room has weighed in. Oh, yeah. Live stream chat room. What's going on, guys? Uh, Steven. Steven, he's become a a regular on the live stream chat. He says the people should control the big things. Rom Thoritarianism, more like yeah, it. I like that. That's even better than this. Write it down. Write it wait, down. Wait, wait, Rom on, that's Thor- good. Rom, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Rom Thoritarianism. That's a hard. That's so true. That's what it is. Rom Thoritarianism. I guess they want Lori Thoritarianism. For, for that, it was <laughs> daily Thoritarianism. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the live stream chat also, uh, Pat Rod weighed in. He says, what up, guys? Watch out for tornadoes. Yeah, it's kind of nasty out there. <laughs> yeah, it is. Miles got soaked. I know. <laughs> he had to change his shirt. All right. Good some, thing he brought another shirt. Some national news here. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has offered a scathing response to the immigration reform package that the Trump administration is unveiling today, calling it, quote, an insult to our grand tradition of welcoming immigrants from all walks of life. You know, I am moving toward a position that's going to get me kicked out of every club I've ever been in. I've never been in any club, so they can't really kick me out of any club. Miles, lock the door. <laughs> I'm I'm for open borders. More and more I think about it, money goes across the border, capital goes across the border, why not labor? People say, oh, Ben, but then they'll take, all these immigrants coming in from all these different countries will take away our jobs. And I'm like, there's huge chunks of this country that need people we need people in areas of chicago let's just think about it folks we got people in camps we're separating families we're locking up children i'm just throwing that out there to think about i know my libertarian friends we're gonna hold on oh under there yeah they're under the tape yep always libertarian i'm always so afraid of trump's tweet they hide under the table i'm just throwing that out there d everybody's trying to turn themselves into knots trying to figure out how many immigrants should we let in and who gets in and who gets out i'm like yeah you worked that hard to get here your chances are you're going to be a good citizen so why not have in the head in the direction of open borders just throwing it out there as a suggestion and hey all those republicans hiding under the, our table <laughs> pick up your garbage my god after the show i gotta pick up i'll you tell you what republicans weirdos. are so afraid oh we believe in free markets all right if you believe in free markets let's have a free market for people who want to come to this country to work for mexico open borders Wait, there they are under the table. They're afraid. Pick of up it. your garbage. <laughs> All right, You're so afraid of a Donald Trump tweet. In other news nationally, I got to get to Washington. Gene Simmons from Kiss made a visit to D.C. today and the Pentagon. Wow. Yeah. Can you name one Kiss song? You're damn right. Uh, Beth. Rock- <laughs> Who? That's a song. Beth. I don't know. Is that a song, Miles? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Detroit Rock City. Oh, I. What does that go like? I'm not going to sing. <laughs> Come on. Reporting the news. <laughs> Kiss rocker Gene Simmons made a surprise visit to the White House <clears throat> and the Pentagon. According to reports, Simmons thanked American troops for their service, choked back tears as he talked about how his mother survived a Nazi concentration camp. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that. A lot of stuff you don't know about Gene oh, Simmons. Geez, I, I really know nothing about Kiss other than they're the ones that wear the elaborate makeup, correct? Yeah. Okay. I think they have a song called Bath. Where's Frank when I need him to, to weigh in and let me know? Frank, give us a kiss song. I think it's Bath. Don't quote me on that, though, all right? 
All right, I won't quote you on that. Don't worry. All right, some uh, 2020 POTUS candidate updates. It looks like a poll recently came out from that Nate Silver poll nerd guy, <laughs> 538.com. Uh, Most recent poll listed by 538.com for Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada. Each shows same top three 2020 Democratic candidates. Wait, let me see if I can guess them. All right, do number one. Uh, number one would be Joe Biden. Yep, Grandpa Joe. Number two? Uh, Bernie Sanders. All right, and number three. Go for it. I'm going to go and say Elizabeth Warren. You're wrong. Oh, uh, wait, time out. Two out of three ain't bad. Uh, there's a, that is a song uh, by Meatloaf. All right. <laughs> Hang tight, millennials. We got a fantastic show for you today, all right? Kiss, uh, two meatloaf. out of three Please. ain't bad. Oh, sorry. Listeners are gone. All right. Uh, wait, time out. So it's uh, Biden... Uh, uh, Bernie. Yep. And you're tell wait time out. You're, you're telling my old boy from South Bend is on there. South Bend. You gotta Indiana. be kidding me. What's his last name again, Ben? Booty's Edge Edge. Yeah, yeah. You're serious. South he's he's third in Iowa. He's third Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada. Come on, I'm a. Can I just talk to millennials out there? Guys, come on. I know you're really into your little millennial thing, and you love him because he's young, and you're young, and oh, we're young. You're not going to be young forever, millennials. That's number one. Number two, the guy's not done anything. What's he done, D? Huh? I mean, I know what you're going to say, millennials. I know how you think. You go, well, what did Obama do? All right. What's well, a good point? I like that. Well, first of all, he was elected statewide as opposed to just being elected in a city. So he did that. And two, as a black man getting elected statewide, that was a huge achievement. All right. And he also showed something on a national stage when he gave that credible speech. So he did some things more than Buttigieg. No, oh, man. What what percent is he at? Does it say? It doesn't say. Shout out to Frank. <sighs> Frank is weighed in. Cool. There is a Kiss song called Beth, yes. and another Kiss song is Doctor Love. Whoa! Man. Is it about you? <laughs> no. no. Why would it be about me? Well, I wasn't even born when the song was made. You're Doctor D, and the, oh, the ladies all love you for your body oh, okay. and your mind. Only <laughs> you say both of those things. And in, and, and bounce date, they call you White Lightning. Now, old, <laughs> this is me changing the such. Nate Silver, oh, the, yeah. the poll nerd, as we call him here on yeah, the Ben Jarofsky Show. A whiz bang job in the 2016 election. <laughs> oh, I'm glad we're listening to you, yeah, oh, Hillary Clinton. In. Old Nate Dog may need to do uh, some <laughs> polls again because in other news nationally, Ben, mm -hmm. get your list out. Uh -oh. Another Democratic presidential hopeful has squeezed and shuffled his way into this already heavily crowded <laughs> room. We uh -oh. may have a fire hazard on our hands. Hold ben. on, got to get the cheat sheet out. Yep, we got one more to add. All right, hold on. I'm Bill De Blasio, and I'm running for president because it's time we put working people okay. first. That's right. New York Mayor Bill De Blasio mm -hmm. is running for president. The progressive two-term mayor announced his run of course with a video released by his campaign we heard the rumor a week or two ago and it's true but this may be a bigger fight than old de blasio thinks all right mm -hmm. and i think our mayor for uh, for four more days here in chicago can relate with this one <laughs> polls have shown a vast majority of new yorkers 76 yeah. percent don't think that de blasio should run for president and he's been mocked in new york ever since the rumors broke out wait time out 76 percent 76 percent of people who uh, are new yorkers think he should not run. I actually think he's doing better than Rom. I'll bet you did a poll of Chicagoans. Hey, Chicagoans, how many of you think Rom should be uh, president of the United States? Well, actually, if it meant getting him out of Chicago, you might find a surprising number who would vote for that. Uh, but 76% uh, is pretty bad. Yeah, so New York kind of oh, hates his guts, but hey, at least he's got jokes, all right? When asked about the lack <laughs> of enthusiasm in the polls, de Blasio said, quote, 
Hey, I'm glad I've uh, unified the people of New York City. It's actually not bad, but, uh, you know. He's you warming not, up to him? He's, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> my, look, here's my issue with uh, de Blasio. Uh, de Blasio came into office as mayor of New York City, uh, professing to be a great progressive and championing progressive causes. And uh, as he was leaving, he signed on to the Amazon deal. Uh, their version of the Amazon deal. And people know that I was crusading against Chicago and Illinois giving a blank check to Amazon. It was effectively a blank check, people. You didn't even know how much your mayor, Mayor Rahm, your governor, the old guy, Rauner, were offering. Uh, it was just basically Amazon. Take our money wherever you want to go. They were Remember they were ushering Amazon around the city of Chicago, D? And uh, when, when, when France Spielman asked, well, what sites are you taking them to? Uh, the, the city of Chicago, our representative said, none of your business you know there's a uh, non-disclosure agreement that we signed with amazon so we're offering them valuable land valuable real estate in the city of chicago but we're not going to tell you the taxpayers where <laughs> where we're offering it none of your business shut up and pay the bill and uh, that's the attitude that Chicagoans have uh, in general toward, uh, Chicago leaders have in general toward taxpayers and uh, residents of the city. And it's very similar, apparently, in New York City, de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo, the governor of the state of New York, tag team to offer Amazon. We don't even know what they offered Amazon. Uh, and then when Amazon announced, hey, drum roll, we're going to New York City. And they thought everybody would be happy. But by then, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez been elected congresswoman. Uh, uh, from a district in uh, the Bronx, and she said, "We in Queens, where they, they were going to put the Amazon." She goes, "We don't. I don't know anybody who wants it." And next thing you know, tides change, and De Blasio like, "Habita, habita." Yeah, suddenly I, <laughs> wait, maybe it's not such a good idea. Where was that common sense opposition to giving out a blank check to Amazon when we needed it, Bill De Blasio? So I'm not ready to jump. On the Bill de Blasio bandwagon. Wait, did someone say Bruce Rauner? Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Like four minutes ago? No, oh, Rauner was unbelievable. He he doesn't want anybody who is like middle class to get like a, a, a pension, but he was all set to give $2 billion or whatever to Amazon. All right, we'll end out the national news with the rest of the video from Bill de Blasio. Mm. Right, let's see how much of this we could stomach. Here in New York City, a place that is legendarily tough and big and complicated. Good thing about New Yorkers is they look the same whether they're really pissed off at you or they like you. People in every part of this country feel stuck or even like they're going backwards. But the rich got richer. I'm a New Yorker. I've known Trump's a bully for a long time. This is not news to me or anyone else here. And I know how to take him on. Don't back down in the face of a bully. Confront him. Take him on. As president, I will take on the wealthy. I will take on the big corporations. I will not rest until this government serves working people. All right, I think that's about enough. Yeah, I'm, 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 <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know, more than I would say this. Uh, by the way, Donald Trump was elected president, and he's a native New Yorker. He's from New York City. His home is New York. He's not popular. So he's, de Blasio is probably looking how at how unpopular Donald Trump is in New York City and figuring, oh, well, it worked for him. Maybe it worked for me. Maybe being unpopular in my hometown. Actually, I think de Blasio, don't quote me on this, D, is from Boston. I'm not even sure he is from New York. Frank. Frank. <laughs> 
I could be mis- mixing him up with Bloomberg, who was the mayor before him, who I also believe is from Boston. So, Frank, you know, do a little uh, research. By the way, back. Frank, if this show ever goes big time, <laughs> like we're like millionaires or something, dude, we are hiring you to be like our fact checker. Right? Absolutely. But we're like broke, so I don't think that'll ever happen anytime. I yeah. rode the bus here, all right? Uh, me too. Oh. Oh, no, I took the train. Aren't we special? Yeah. All right. Now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along because we're moving along. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out what's going on locally after this break because people, we are going to find out what else is news. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. What's so funny? <laughs> we have a correction. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. We are indeed live. Uh, breaking news on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Co- correction time. Make Hold the breaking on. news noise. Here we go. Wait, is that the breaking note? Huh. Is that the breaking note? Uh, is this, oh, there you go. <laughs> Boy, we are giving you some entertainment today, people. Breaking news uh, from Frank. He tells me that Bill de Blasio was, in fact, born in New York City. Thank you, Frank. But for some reason, I don't know why, I think he is a uh, Red Sox fan. I don't, but I don't know. Frank, get worried. <laughs> Is he a get Frank a break? <laughs> Poor Frank's exhausted. But uh, anyway, so he is uh, uh, definitely from New York City. My apologies to absolutely everyone. I told you not to quote me. So there you go. All right. We're about to find out what's going on locally, everybody. It's time for What Else is News. Our mayor-elect has four more days until we stop calling her that. Starting May 20th, Rom will be out, and she will officially be Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Mm -hmm. Now, for us here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, it's a bit of a bummer. has nothing to do with Lori Lightfoot, really. It's just that as Rahm Emanuel leaves office, so does a... Good amount of Ben Jarofsky show material. Uh, like that Rom Riverwalk bit we've been doing? Yeah, that's going to be gone in a matter of time. I have a feeling it'll be around for a while. That'll be gone. What bit is that? That's the Rom Riverwalk. How's that go again? I got to. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 for listeners who maybe new, I cut a deal with a certain group. Uh, I got to make an extra cash on the side here, yeah. so uh, just one second. The Rom Emanuel <laughs> Riverwalk. Fantastic walk. Please, name it after Rom. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to rename it. Like that Dan Ryan. Yeah. It's the Rom River Walk. Pretty please. 
Rename it. Come on, Chicagoans, you got to be smarter than this. Rom gave an interview the other day with this. I think it was with Franz Spielman. Where, I don't. Know, I don't know how the story came out, but somehow or other, it came out that Rom's going around saying, "I think a good way to honor me is to name the Riverwalk after me." I'm like, first of all, who said they wanted to honor you? Most people I know, most real Chicagoans, as you know, opposed to like the members of the smartocracy uh, in Chicago. Just want you out of town. I'm Don't curious. listen to him. I'm curious Rob what Evan Moore has to say about this. All right. So, uh, and also, too, uh, Ben may have lost the first half of his opening sentences in like 80% of his Chicago Reader columns in the last eight years. <laughs> say what you will about Mayor Ron. So that'll be gone. Oh, and no, that was say what you will about Mayor Daly. Oh, okay. Now so I'll be got, saying say what you will ah, about Mayor Ron. But I, I can't believe that the set, that's a setup for Lori's doing something really bad. <laughs> yeah. I cannot believe. That Lori Lightfoot will be worse than Rahm Emanuel. And it turns out a few Rom staffers listen to the show, so we may be losing a few listeners there as well. <laughs> Shout out to our Rom staffer listeners, by the way. Oh, yes. yeah, they're always weighing in with a guest. Yeah. Please, keep listening Thank after you. the 20th. Please, we need the listeners. So with a few days we have left here, let's really lean into this, Ben, and read some more Mayor Rom quotes. What do you <laughs> okay. say? You know, Mayor Rom, you're always welcome to come on the show and uh, defend yeah. your... We did this yesterday after he spoke with Politico and gave everyone his non-requested wisdom on our Democratic governor's attempt at legalizing recreational cannabis in Illinois. Ben, what were your thoughts on that again? Oh, he was... Rahm is absolutely useless uh, on the issue of legalizing reefer. And I'll put it to you this way. There is a ethical, moral reason why we should legalize marijuana. Uh, That is because our country has proved incapable of fairly... Uh, applying the law to black people and white people. Black people go to jail for something that white people get to do uh, with freedom. So if we have failed our ability to uh, fairly police that uh, the the uh, the law against reefer, so therefore we lose our right to make it illegal. That is my position. Rom was absent, and the whole fight against the war on drugs. In fact, he was in the Clinton administration uh, helping enact some of those Dragonian drug policy laws. So I believe that for Rom to suddenly speak out and say, "Oh, we should go slow. We're going too fast," is uh, is beyond irony. It's cruel irony. The person uh, he was part of, sort of the general war on drugs that has caused so much damage to this country for basically my entire adult lifetime. And so so finally, as we see us ending the war on drugs, mercifully, after all these years, he's, well, not so fast. Let's keep that war going for a little while longer, please. Well, today we have more from Rom's Politico interview. And listen up, everyone, because he's going to tell us everything <laughs> we didn't know about casinos oh. in Chicago. And guys, it's literally the same thing he said about the can- uh, cannabis bill. Tread carefully. Ben, what will we do without I this guy? Wow. Tread, tread carefully. Tread, by the way, he was ready to set up a casino down on the southeast side. Uh, in the, uh, where it was in the 10th Ward, Sukarza's Ward. He was talking about putting a casino there. Oh. And he wasn't treading carefully there. He was just waiting to get the permission from the, go- the governor. We'll get there in moments. Oh, I'm ahead of myself again. The mayor reflected on past attempts to bring a casino oh. to Chicago in 2011. A newly elected Emanuel was aggressive in supporting casino legislation, oh. only to see it held back when Governor Pat Quinn in 
indicated he wouldn't sign it because it didn't offer enough regulation to protect taxpayers. In 2013, lawmakers hoping to generate revenue agreed on a new bill with more robust regulations. But Emanuel remembers Governor Quinn calling and asking if Chicago wanted to be part of the legislation. Emanuel said no, and Quinn ultimately vetoed the bill. Now, Ben, I have Rom's response as to why he pulled back on the deal. I want you to tell us why you believe he did. But before I read it first, uh, let's face it, buddy, because you're... Younger days are way behind you. He's old, guys. I'm sure you remember all of this quite well. So tell us about Chicago's past attempts at getting a casino. I and are you in favor for it? Uh, well, I have a lot of... Ma- now, this is... Okay, folks. This is one of those... of Flying in the breeze moments for me. I'm not nearly as certain about uh, legalizing gambling and promoting it throughout the city as I am in terms of legalizing a reefer. Gambling is a serious issue, folks. I actually believe that gambling is more destructive than marijuana use. Now, I know there's some people who wake up in the morning and immediately start baking their brain with marijuana. Hi, guys. Name's Dennis. How's it going today? (laughs) But look, it's worked for you. You're at the top of your profession. I mean, I didn't say I just rode the bus here, but all right. Okay. Was it the bus or the train? Not the train, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, I, I, so I realize there are people who take the marijuana a little bit too far with the waking and the baking. I understand that it could be problematic. I'm not saying you should just smoke from the moment you get up. Although I remember, what was that rock star's name? He was smoky. Get up and smoke. Oh, rock star that smokes marijuana. You really narrowed the. Field. Lenny Kravitz. That's who it was. Oh, Lenny, okay. he, he talked about it, and then he then he cut back, as I recall. Anyway, so I realized that you could overdo marijuana, but gambling's a serious problem. I mean, I know a lot of people who are like constantly compulsively gambling, throwing away their money, and then they fall behind and they get into debt. Uh, so this notion that somehow or other gambling uh, is a re- relatively benign vice, I. Think think is overplayed and I it but for some reason well I, we this would be take a deep dive curious what Evan Moore thinks about this I know he has theories on this uh it seems that we are more accepting toward gambling as a vice than we are toward smoking marijuana and there's got to be some kind of reason for that I'm going to think about that uh before we go any further with it but so in general I think we should be a little cautious about promoting uh gambling the way they're talking about Oh, sounding like Mayor Rom today. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, no, well, no, he's also, sounding like me. Tell, now, tell <laughs> us why uh, he backed out in 2013. I can't remember. 2013 or 2011? Or 2011, 2013. I can't remember. I, I'm, I'm sure what whatever he says now will be a revisionistic uh, right. approach on I'll it. Read, so. I'll read the response. Yeah. Rom's response here. Okay. Remember, guys, he's smart. You're not. Okay, okay. here we go. <laughs> he says other programs in the city were starting to work. He said in a one-on-one interview to, uh, with Politico, tourism numbers and conventions were on the rise. The economy was growing and the city was having success in attracting digital businesses. So we walked away from the table, Emmanuel said. We had it right there and we walked away. Uh, you know what? My, that doesn't uh, ring with my memory of it. Uh, and my memory is that it was a more complicated issue uh, that bringing gambling into Chicago uh, offset a lot of other people who had other interests that wanted to keep gambling out of Chicago. And uh, uh, there, I also feel that there was connected to a property tax hike. This is off. And you know what? All that marijuana I smoked in the 80s is finally catching up to me. I can't remember. So I told you don't just wake up and bake folks but uh you know what we should bring pat quinn in here we should bring governor oh, pat quinn and get 
That'd be good. You know what, Pat? I know you're listening. We're going to get you on next week. We talk why we didn't get gambling in the uh, 2011. Is Rom making it up as he goes along, or is this time tell- is he telling the truth? Now that a Chicago casino has popped up again, Emmanuel hopes lawmakers put thought into where it might be located. I mean, at least for four more days. If we could put it miles from Indiana, so people could stop there before heading to an Indiana casino, I could see value in that. Emmanuel said, but people in previous years were talking about the Loop and Michael Reese Hospital. Those locations have social implications what what difference would it make if the 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 gambling casino would be in michael reese the old michael reese site it would be uh in the loop or would be uh on the south side of chicago in terms of social i don't know what he's talking i'm gonna have evan moore is gonna have to help me out with this one why would you if you're against gambling you're against gambling what, how would it have greater social implications if you put the gambling casino in the Loop or in Michael Reese, which is just south of the Loop, folks, like on 35th Street, the big plot of vacant land that the city owns because in its infinite wisdom, another smart mayor who had the council do whatever he wanted, bought up the land with your property tax dollars. That mayor would have been Mayor Daly in about 2008 or seven, I want to say. And now the land is just uh, lying vacant. It's been vacant ever since, not producing any taxes. So I don't know what, what he's talking about there. But Dean, now that I think about it, I I seem to recall that Mayor Rahm uh, wanted the gambling. Oh, look at that pot <laughs> brain working. <laughs> I'm battling fumes from 1980. All right, they're, they're still in there. All right, shout out to the live stream chat by the way. Stephen waited. He said from the Boston Globe, New York City, uh, New York City Mayor Bill De Blasio remains a big Red Sox fan. You should never abandon the team you grew up with for any reason, said De Blasio, March 2nd, 2019. I. Thank you. Who said that? Steven. Steven. Yep. Here. Steven, we're going to send you some frozen steaks. They're in the ma- mail right now. No, you're not doing that. Don't <laughs> uh, but he's absolutely away. correct. Uh, de Blasio was a Red Sox. I knew that. I that Because I remember, like, he was pretending he was rooting for the Yankees when the Yankees played the Red Sox. That's a big rivalry. I know we're not allowed to talk sports on the Ben Jarofsky show, but that's a big rivalry. Way to remember that, by the way. <laughs> hippie. All right. Now, just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right. Well, let me tell you something, young man. Okay. Something that Bill de Blasio, right. something that Bill Buckner used to play first base for the Chicago Cubs, awesome. and something that Billy Conbert, a kid I went to grammar school with, all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got to have Evan Moore right here. We're going to bring him on when we return. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. 
Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Evan Moore is in the studio with me, editor for the Chicago Sun-Times. Evan Moore, the pride and joy of Morgan Park High School, and uh, he has stopped by uh, to join us. And um, uh, Evan, first of all, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Welcome back, Alex. Glad to be back. And uh, I, um, I have to ask you, you're uh, a bit of a sports fan, and generally Dennis won't allow me uh, to talk about sports. Make but, it quick, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Man, are you a Bulls fan? Uh, I think I, I still am. I'm more of a... It's, my um, fandom is weird because I actually grew up more of a, a Lakers fan. Uh, did we have this conversation already? Um, Were you also, a Kobe fan? No, nah, I'm like I'm a little older, so I'm my, my um like basketball experience was more so um public league basketball because my mom and dad were public league public school teachers, so we went to a lot of those games and the Lakers at the time when I was growing up they had so they they still had Magic, Kareem and Worthy and AC Green, all those guys. So that was just kind of my first basketball memories of of sports were weren't the Bulls, believe it or not. <laughs> so in nineteen ninety one when the Chicago Bulls played the Los Angeles Lakers for the World Championship, it was Magic versus Michael. Who did you root for? I was Bulls by then already. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he I'll, jumped aboard that bandwagon. Yeah, it was Bulls already. Yeah, I was out there uh, in the streets uh, seeing uh, some things I probably shouldn't have seen. Wait, so. <laughs> I think I saw you in the streets. Uh, <laughs> like, what's he doing with that TV? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put that TV back, Evan Moore. Uh, so, okay, so you were a Lakers fan, then the Bulls got hot, became a Bulls fan, and then the Bulls fell off. And you went back to the Lakers. Is that how you did it? Oh uh, no, nah, I, uh, I stayed away from the Lakers. I mean, it was it was one of the things because you know most of us who have a sports fandom is usually passed on from a parent or a whomever. My dad was more so the uh, fans of individual players, so it wasn't like you know like most some people in town like, hey, there's a GN, we're gonna listen to the Cubs, and that's yeah. it. Or some of us who were like, hey, we're Sox fans, and that's it. Like, yeah. it never was like that for me. So I kind of picked up my fandom. As I saw it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, 
I was going to lament about how the Bulls and uh, they have a lottery uh, in the uh, NBA and the worse off you are, the worse you do, you're supposed to have a higher percentage chance of getting the highest draft choice. And the Bulls tanked this year, essentially trying to win the lottery and draft Zion Williamson, and it blew up. They got, they got the seventh draft pick. Uh, it, it's, as a Bulls fan, I was just moaning it. You know, I heard it in the car, and I was like, this stinks. But he still was put the hat on today, so that's good. You know what? I'm a beloved bull. I love my beloved bulls. So um, uh, anyway, your parents were school teachers. I didn't know that. Where'd they teach? Oh, they were... Um they're both never out retired now, but um, it's weird because we grew up in, in South Shore on the South Side, but they mostly taught at West Side schools. So um, they, uh, my mom, she uh, was uh, elementary school mostly. So she, like most teachers in that area, you kind of bounced around. So she did uh, schools at Lowell, uh, Jensen, Johnson. This is why Douglas parked out to the schools he was at when he retired. But my daddy, he, he was a history teacher for a while. He was at the old Harrison High School, which is now so I stayed yeah, in a little yeah. village. Uh, where else was he at? Uh, he was at Near North with uh, the police facility right now, and a lot of community king, yeah. community, community yeah. green kids went there On back division, in the day. And, right. Yeah, so he, he bounced around. They both bounced around like most uh, educators. So yeah. Well, I did not know that. Um, my mother was a, pu- a public school teacher as well. Uh, that's ancient history. Anyway, and before we got, I asked you about gambling and marijuana. Uh, talk about uh, your uh, podcast that you do. Uh, it's an interesting uh, podcast. Well, it's uh, four of us, um, Jeff Beckham, um, Jabari Evans, uh, Mario Gaze, and myself. It's called The Go Defenders, and we're all you know, relatively young black man who grew up on the south side of Chicago, and we wanted to, to change the narrative about the city, and it's kind of a takeoff of uh, the Chicago Defender, how, how that's uh, looked in the black community, how we wanted to... Uh, you know, change the narrative and we talk we all come from different areas like i'm a journalist um jeff um comes from the tech world is, is an entrepreneur um jabari he had a he has a rap career but he also currently is a uh, phd student at northwestern and before he did that he got his master's degree at, U- at usc and mario is an investor but he also DJs on the side so we pull in like a lot of different areas of what we saw growing up in the city all of us are we kind of guess go against the narrative of what people see about see about the city like we're all highly educated you know young men with a lot of influence collectively and uh some of our um topics have been we talked a lot about uh nifty hustle in terms of his entrepreneurship how a lot of people especially here in the city feel like that to make it or have something for yourself, they feel like you have to leave. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do indeed leave, and that's kind of goes into what we see about the city's black population, how it kind of you know dwindled. And we talk a lot about white flight, but there's been a lot of black flight too. And uh, <clears throat> and we talked about the uh, college at Mrs. Exam scandal because mm-hmm. Jeff went to Mizzou, um, Jabari, like I said, you know went to he went to Penn for his undergrad, and then with went to USC and you know, I mentioned and also Mario he went to University of Chicago so they were that was, a, that was one of the episodes that I kind of fell back on because because they had a lot of feelings about that they weren't they weren't surprised that all that went down after they saw it when they were there so it was that was a pretty interesting episode but we we pretty much go all over the gamut and 
It's a, I think it's a pretty interesting song that anyone gets something out of. Yeah, uh, the Nipsey Hussle uh, that Evan alluded to for some of our older listeners, uh, he was just murdered uh, in Los Angeles. He was born in, I don't know if he was born in Los Angeles, but he grew up in Los Angeles. He's a rapper. He was just shot down. Uh, but he was well-to-do. He was successful. He came back, or he never left Los Angeles uh, and had uh, played a pivotal role in building, a, developing a business. He was always trying to encourage entrepreneurs, etc. Uh, and uh, to stay in Chicago, to stay uh, in their, uh, the neighborhood that they're from originally. You talk about changing the narrative, uh, the narrative that exists regarding uh, black people or young black men in Chicago. What is that narrative, in your opinion? That we're scary, that we're, we have multiple kids, that we have you know jail stints, and we're just a blight on our communities, and that's not, it's not the case. And it's, it's kind of all of us, when we all leave the city, we go to different places. You tell people, hey, I'm from Chicago. They have their various uh, things that they've heard. And you've seen over the years when Republican or or conservative talking point to say, what about Chicago, Chicago, this and that. Like, I feel like this cut down to it. You're saying black people. Let this, let's not mess around. It's, it's something that I've noticed over the years. And when I travel and go different places and and you just you see it and you hear it and you see that narrative and that narrative does wear, wear on all of us. And it's not a thing where it's, we want to think to be this way. It's just how in many places how how things are, and you you, you hear a lot of things about uh, lack of um, resources and things like that, and that kind of leads into what we've been saying about what Ron, our, mayor, our mayor has been doing on his way out is changing his narrative, and a lot of people in town, especially brown and black folks, are like, "Whoa, hold up, pump your brakes!" It's we know <laughs> we've seen it. I mean, it's uh, that's why you have, that's one of the things where we. We're trying to change the narrative. In many cases, you can't sit around and wait for people to change the narrative. You have to step up and, and do it yourself. Yeah, well, uh, part of that narrative, we'll get into Rom's narrative. I'm going to write that down. Rom rewriting history as he leaves office. This is a particular obsession of mine, Evan. Uh, but it, and to the narrative that you were just alluding to, I saw this article in the paper the other day. Uh, follow me on this. The people who run Trump Tower, the big tower uh, in the downtown Chicago with Trump's name on it, uh, which I'd like to point out that uh, the city gave him the okay after he donated $50,000 to Mayor Rahm's campaign. Uh, I'd just like to point that out, Evan. Anyway, um, one of the narratives that they're putting out, their business is, is not doing well there, apparently. They're not uh, booking a lot of guests. And so they put the narrative, I'm not making this up, I saw this in the article, uh, in the paper, that uh, it's because of the crime. In Chicago, yeah, so I saw they, that. you saw that <laughs> yes, they're like yes. blaming crime in Chicago. First of all, it's it's not in a high crime area. Number one, and there's a lot of hotels that are booking up and doing really well. It's probably because you put that big Trump name on the side of the building, and people hate Trump in the city of Chicago. But it doesn't stop them from blame. Essentially, as you said, blaming black people for their inability to run a good business. Yeah, because thing is for me and. I understand why the, why the building is there and everything else. He's a businessman, just like anyone else. He's, he should be able to have it. But at the same time, you know, like if he really all the stuff he says about Chicago, where his backhanded comments, he'll say stuff about shootings. Then he'll say make America great again and everything else. Well, if you really want to do that, you provide the communities that need it some sort of infrastructure. Why isn't there some type of Trump business in North Lawndale or in South Shore or? Or, or East or anything like that. So it, it's one of the things where he's telling some folks things they want to hear. And Chicago has always been, been used as a punching bag for conservatives one way or another. And, and it didn't really start till 
you know, Obama came around and he kind of saw how they were kind of, you know, pointed, looking at him as like the quote unquote machine candidate. But if you remember that center run, the machine wanted Dan Hines. So <laughs> that's something that people like it's you when you kind of get into the thing where they feel like that you're right is. And if you already look at someone a certain way or you have a, a specific political leaning, you're going to believe whatever you're told, mm-hmm. even if even if uh, something is. It's clearly wrong. If it sounds right, then most likely it is right in those people's eyes. Uh, Evan, we were talking, it was a little bit about Rahm uh, trying to rewrite his narrative, trying to control his narrative. Uh, and uh, he too has a podcast. I, and uh, so he is trying to do it his way. Um, as he leaves, in your mind, what do you think Rahm's legacy is? Uh, not the narrative that he's writing, but just in your mind as a person who was uh, raised in the city of Chicago, lived here your whole life, uh, has been writing about Chicago. Uh, what's, your, what's your sense of Rahm's legacy? I would say it depends who you talk to. It's for some, it's him trying to make up for some of the stuff daily had done. For some people, it's, it can, it's petty and messy for some folks. And the thing is, is that I remember one time an alderman telling me about Rahm, and he was like, yeah, he's for downtown, but not for the neighborhoods. And you look at my neighborhood, I mean, we were the last neighborhood to get a a supermarket after Dominic left. Some people, some places got a Whole Foods, some places got a Mariano's. I mean, next door to us in High Park, they had a Treasure Island, and now they're getting a um, Trader, not, Joe's. Trader Joe's. And, and that whole time when we were like wanted a store, they got a Target, they got a Whole Foods, they got a, a Mariano's that was in a nearby neighborhood, but they got all this stuff they didn't ask for. And people in South Shore was like, can we have a store? <laughs> a store, you know? And, yeah. and they finally got one, but it took a while, but it just goes to show you like when some people in this city, they had to beg for things and other folks, they get things while even asking for them. And that's, where the thing with two Chicago's, but I say all that to say that the legacy of Rahm Emanuel concerning a lot of black and brown folks is, you know, and he didn't have his hand out when he needed to have it out. And when he had his hand out, it was for quote unquote 1% folks and people who have money. Uh, the uh, grocery store that Evan is alluding to, I believe is the 72nd and Jeffrey, it's in South Shore, it was a, Treasure Island, was it? Uh, it was the Dominic's. Dominic's, my bad. Yeah, and it yeah. And went out of business a long time ago and was vacant. Uh, and the local alderman, uh, Leslie Harrison, was always saying that Rom was, well, she said this more than once, that Rom, in her humble opinion, was punishing her for no votes that she took in the city council. I'm not quite sure I believe that. I believe the mayor, somebody had come to him and said, hey, I want to put a grocery store you know, to, to take where the old Dominic's is, he would have said, sure, I'll get all, just as long as you give me the credit for it. Um, but I, he obviously didn't push really hard. He didn't put that at the top of his list of priorities to get a grocery store in that area. Right, and he saw what's going on at Willon with that jewel that's, that's being over there. And people in certain areas of the city are rightfully historically skeptical because they're, th- they're mostly thinking, is this for us or for the people that's, going to be here after we're pushed out one way or another and hey you saw my story that's my home zip code <laughs> so yeah and uh, my story in the reader in Pangea about about Pangea that's their their office is actually on my mom and dad's block so we we see them and 
and uh, they take up all the parking spaces. But that's another issue from the other day. So <laughs> a lot of people are angry about that. But uh, but yeah, so you have that going on. Then you have the Obama Library, and then you have the combination of Tiger Woods' golf course with the Jackson Park golf course. So it's a lot of stuff going on in our in our neighborhood and we kind of always kind of looked at us as we kind of looked at ourselves as like a hidden gem like people when i have friends come over like come over like hey you know, this is where i live check it out and you're like wow i didn't know this in the city because some parts of south shore you just like you think it's in the suburbs or or a foreign land and you're just like well we've been here <laughs> so i definitely see where things are happening over there where high park has gotten more and more expensive and those folks gotta live somewhere so they're gonna they're gonna be coming to South Shore, and it's always been interesting with that. When they tore down the you know, projects, a lot of those folks moved into South Shore, and that caught that. But a lot of people butted heads were from folks who were in the projects, and some people were like, "Well, they brought their habits with them," and we're like middle class black folk, this and that, and it was kind of like it was a lot of butting heads. Mm-hmm. Still is in many time, many areas. Yeah, South Shore is the neighborhood uh, for folks who are geographically challenged, uh, just south of Hyde Park, which is about 5,500, there's Hyde Park, 5,500 south from the loop along the lake. So it's beautiful lakefront uh, property. Uh, there's a book that's coming out, Carlo Rotello, who, Rotello, who will be a guest on our show. It's called The World is Always Coming uh, to an End, and it's about South Shore. And my sense is, Evan, uh, get your thoughts on this, that um, eventually the uh, gentrification that has been moving south from the loop pretty steady pace uh for the daily years and the ram years so it's it's like planning decisions that both mayors have signed on to will eventually it's all i mean it's already been in hyde park will eventually go south of that south shore maybe englewood if you're going further west uh what's sort what's what's your sense of that what's what's your sense of the changes uh ahead for south shore well, I'll take it back to Carlo's book, and the name of the book is from a person who lived lived in, in South Shore who was a business owner, and you know, saying always oh, the world's always coming to an end. It's it goes to you know um, when different ethnic groups move into an area, and the group that was there previously are you know obviously worried because a group has moved in. The South Shore obviously Native Americans, then the Irish, and then the Jews came, and then you know black people started coming so each group was kind of like you know who was there previously was kind of like uh oh what's going on here and a lot of people in South Shore had those same fears that white people had when black people started moving in moving in so it's uh that's why the book is the name of it and why he picked that picked that title with that quote or whatever is pretty interesting because that's kind of what happens and you see it in different neighborhoods over the city when a group that was there before you know, started noticing that another ethnic group or another group comes in, they're kind of like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? But you also have folks who who aren't immigrants in a classic sense. They're from, they're transplant. They're from, you know, some of the um, towns and states that, you know, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, that's not coming in. And it's a, it's a different type of immigration I think people are looking at because kind of, even when I think about it, like a lot of even black people I know that that move here from other places most of them aren't on the south side they're mostly north side that kind of goes into what people goes into what we talked about in Arabic when someone wants to move here where they're hearing about certain neighborhoods and for me like if you were looking for like Chirac and you came to where I grew up you'd be very 
disappointing. It's completely quiet. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so you'd be uh, you'd be disappointed if you want that uh, the narrative that you that some folks have been seeing. Uh, speaking of narratives and spe- and people's impressions of Chicago, there's a TV show right now that's uh, centered in Chicago. I think it's in its heading in its third year. Don't quote me on that. And The Shy, uh, it, t- it takes place on the South Side. I've not seen uh, a- episodes after the first year, but uh, what's your general sense of how The Shy fits into this this whole narrative uh, framework that you've been talking about? Well, I kind of watch all those shows and kind of like in a in a sense like to. To not only critique them, but to enjoy them because you only have you don't have you only have you have that you have Easy it was on Netflix and you have that's so Red Line mm-hmm. that's on and all and obviously the Chicago uh, NBC shows Fire and uh, and PD and all those shows. So I think Chicagoans, I mean, it's, I understand when some people were like, for instance, on the shy. Like I remember that one kid was like on Sunny Ninth Street and then around the corner he was in front of the Rainbow Club and you're just like, wait a minute. <laughs> You know, that's, that's uh, you know, you came in village and all of a sudden you were just in Chatham. Like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah. Like, uh, so I think a lot of people, I think these, these this, the current group of shows are doing a pretty good job of casting the essence of Chicago because Chicago people are involved. It's Chicago actors, it's Chicago producers, and then also the thing about the actors, a lot of these folks are from here, and that goes into what I was saying earlier about people feeling like they have to leave to make it out, and yeah. a lot of those people are staying. You see a lot of the same actors on all, all different platforms that that are on these shows that are from here, so I think it's good that people are working, but they're also staying here in the neighborhood, so there's some things on the show that you know I was personally like, yo, that's, that's dope, because may, I may have personally been through it or somebody knew in some of the story angles, but so uh, it was very interesting shows that I, I just I suggest people to, they should watch it. I think they should watch it. Uh, no, but I know what you're saying about when somebody gets on a train and the next thing you know they're in a completely different neighborhood. <laughs> Way that doesn't happen in that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the convenience of the storytelling that uh, and not the accuracy. Uh, before I let you go, I get your general thoughts on the efforts by uh, the state of Illinois, the governor, and the Democrats in the legislature to uh, legalize marijuana. Uh, and uh, what do you think about that? Uh, is it good, bad? Are you for it, against it? What's your thoughts? Well, I, I think back to a story I covered back when I was like freelancing for the uh, Daily Southtown. I was in Worth, and you know where Worth is, one of the suburbs here in the city. And this town was weighing the option of having a dispensary there. So for medical marijuana, yeah. Mm-hmm. So some people thought it was going to be you know reefer madness. You bring this to town, crime is going to follow, or uh, it's you know this typical stuff and. Some other people were just like, look, you know, this is something that's needed. And I remember, I remember a woman a woman who had cancer got up and told told the, the town board, like, look, I buy drugs, buy weed from a drug dealer because it helps me. You know, like, if this, this is someone that's in a criminal in the classic sense. This is a, a sick woman mm-hmm. who, who uses marijuana to, to help her out. And... I think about other areas in the city too, where you bring this to bring it, and people are like, "No, no, no!" But you have a million liquor stores in your neighborhood, so it's like, you know, what are you thinking? You know, and for me, I, I had an opinion. I'm, I'm just, I feel like whatever people feel like they can handle in their neighborhoods, they should be able to have. But obviously, there's things that go along with it, with marijuana, and also it's 
there's an issue like who everybody people across the board generally use it where it's like economics race location whatever but who gets arrested for it you know mostly mostly black people and you watch all these guys doing these uh dispensaries and making money off of it but you see your cousin in jail who just had a dime bag or <laughs> you're just like well <laughs> how is this what my what my cousin do that yeah. this guy isn't doing yeah. like is doing and vice versa so <laughs> you just kind of look at it where it's yeah. like if this can help people if it can help people and people can make some money off of it and you see in the city here with systemic uh, solutions and and you know divestment being on purpose i mean so it's what do you expect people to do <laughs> i agree 100 percent. if if uh your cousin's in jail for doing something that somebody else is making millions of dollars of there's something wrong right there and then uh and finally gambling general thoughts about gambling uh is, are you uh just open-minded just put the casinos in or are you a little concerned like i am i'm for something that's legal that that makes that makes money but at the same time there should be some type of parameters on it we'll we'll see that out that goal and it's also the same i basically have this similar opinion of well uh, legalizing marijuana you know it's if there's a way to make things legal but at the same time when you go to places like you know las vegas and you see like signs all over the place telling people like if you got a problem you need to go see somebody type of thing and i don't know it's gonna turn out like you know reefer madness or crime alley where all this crime is going to flow into a specific area they have a have a casino so i could get that kind of remains to be seen evan moore is his name he's the editor of the chicago sun times before i let you get out the door evan tell folks one more time uh about your podcast where they can check it out also um, you can check it out on youtube um apple spotify and all the um sporter I think it's called, and um, it's the Gold Defenders. You can either you know, Google us or find it on, or subscribe on all those platforms I named. Uh, it's a really good podcast. I'm not saying that because I'm biased. I'm saying is you, you're gonna learn a lot about the city from guys who came from you know same area, but basically like different, uh, different you know life experiences. And I think it's a I think it's a really good show. And we're lining up um, guests so. These people check it out. All right, very good, Evermore. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, we have Kim Ortiz on deck. She's ready to go. We're going to bring her on when we return. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicolas Fayette. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. 
food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, May 16th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome union woman Kim Ortiz, and it's Nicole Cantello, president of the American Federation of Government Employees. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Yes, indeed. Uh, Kim Ortiz is in the studio. Uh, Nicole Cantello is on her way to the studio. Lots of union people coming through the studio today on Thursday. Kim Ortiz uh, from Local 150 Operating Engineers. And uh, we're going to have a, a conversation with Kim about union issues, politics, her life, all kinds of things on the agenda. Before we do that, you got an update for me, young man? Absolutely. We have a hefty amount of updates involving our mayor-elect this afternoon. Oh. Only four more days until Lori Lightfoot is our mayor. Mm-hmm. And this week, she has been hustling, buddy. <laughs> Lightfoot has announced several staffing picks Wednesday night among her core team of advisors, including two former members of that police accountability task force that she once headed. Now, to be honest, a lot of these names are unrecognizable. So be a bit boring if all we did was say the names and Ben just goes, who? <laughs> Maybe I'll know the names. I haven't seen the names. This is I don't like, know. Whoa, well, this is called improv, baby. And we got to keep you people entertained, <laughs> all right? So go find the names of those people at chicago.suntimes.com. But luckily, Lori Lightfoot shared with us today her to-do list oh, as mayor her in her first 100 days. Right. So let's find out a couple of these. Mm-hmm. It's time for a segment that we call... Lori's List. Okay. I couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> okay, it's good enough. That's a yeah, good one. That'll work. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. We'll only read a couple now and we'll do a few more later, all, all right? right. Mm-hmm. Lori Lightfoot has a list of things that she wants to get done in the first 100 days as mayor. Uh-huh. Let's find out number one. Okay. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> number one. <laughs> keep Chicago safe and young people occupied by flooding the zone over Memorial Day weekend. The quote-unquote uh, zone. Yeah, the zone. The zone. Yeah. What, which zone is she talking about? <laughs> it doesn't say. Just <laughs> the quote, zone? Flooding the zone. All right, All right. let's do number two. Number no, wait, no. Two. But number one is pretty important. I just didn't know what zone she's talking about, but okay. whatever. Okay, number two. Number two, prepare a budget that's certain to include painful cuts and tax increases to satisfy a $277 million spike in pension payments and a budget shortfall more, quote, dire than she anticipated. Yeah, more dire. Well, if we all knew that was coming, um, we, we were having a, a deeper dive in budget issues. Uh, by the way, the first thing on the agenda, I give her credit, is very important. Try to figure out a strategy uh, that com- combines effective policing, smart policing uh, with jobs and um, activities that will uh, keep people off the streets and from shooting each other. If you can figure out any way to do that, uh, that's a great idea. Um, in terms of the budget, every time a new mayor comes in, this is common practice, folks, the new mayor suddenly discovers, oh my God, outrageous, the budget deficit is much worse than anybody uh, led us to believe. That's because the old mayor 
is usually trying to undersell the budget deficit to show what a great guy he was. In this case, Mayor Rahm has been trotting around town for the last how many months now, ever since he announced he wasn't running, going, I'm a great guy. I figured out how to balance a budget. I did the hard lifting and that the other people wouldn't do and raise the taxes and now we have a balanced budget well it turns out that you didn't do enough of the heavy lifting and the lifting that you did you started late and as a result uh and then the real real heavy lifting you uh p- passed on to the next person in football they call that dennis i'll punt oh my uh, punt thank you ball. so much yeah, football strategy you 35 punt. years old i never knew what a punt was thank you <laughs> that is a punt thank you so you punt to the next person this case uh Lori lightfoot so you know when rom came in Oh, my God, the budget deficit is worse than anything that Richard Daly ever told me. But I'm a genius, and I'll figure it out. Now that Rom's leaving, he's... I mean, he worked <laughs> on me. Rom seems all right now. I don't know why. In the last few months, I'm like, you know what? He's not so bad. All right, so we did number one, keep Chicago safe. Number two, prepare a budget. Coming up a little later, uh, you don't need to be a Dan Biss to figure this out. It's number three. <laughs> That'll be at uh, like 30 oh minutes or goodness. so. Oh, my goodness. All right. Okay. Well, well, I'm looking forward to number three. Anyway, uh, Kim Hortiz is my guest. Welcome to the show, Kim. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate you letting me fill in last minute for Ed. They're pretty, uh, quite literally, big shoes to fill. So He's a big guy. Uh, yeah, I hope, I hope I can do a good job for him. The great Ed Maher. I will not do my Ed Maher imitation. Please oh. don't. Okay, sorry. Hi, oh, Ben. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's got those pipes. That was actually pretty good. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, so, uh, Kim Ortiz, tell uh, just your first time on the show. Tell folks a little bit about yourself from Chicago. Yeah, I was, I was actually born in Houston. I was raised on the northwest side of Chicago, Logan Square area. Um, then I went to DePaul for, for undergrad and worked way more internships and jobs than I can even remember and ended up uh, seeing when I graduated that 150 was looking for a communications person and I had uh, no idea what the operating engineers did or what they were um, and I so I stumbled upon this by dumb luck and it's I think I grew up my dad's like a hardcore union guy also he's been a teamster my whole life and so I grew up in this bubble thinking that like people liked unions and people supported unions and this was something that everyone believed in um, you know good wages and and financial security and um, just learning every day that that is not the reality. Wait, oh, wait, we'll get into the people's attitudes toward unions. And yes, it's always a struggle, uh, particularly in this day and age with Donald Trump as our president. But and then coming out of Bruce Rauner as our governor. Good God. But uh, so. <laughs> so wait, so you grew up in Logan. What high school did you go to? I didn't I didn't go to high school in the city. I went to St. John Birchman's growing up in Pritzker um, over in Wicker Park. I bounced around at different CPS schools. But then in high school, my dad being a teamster, he and up getting transferred so i lived in hingley illinois which has like two thousand people and they're probably all related wait, uh, <laughs> uh, wait time. we gotta keep our hinkley list hey hinkley right? that was kim who said that i didn't say anything bad about Thank hinkley you. uh hinkley illinois excuse my utter ignorance about illinois geography sure. where is hinkley hinkley is if you follow 290 until it becomes 88 and then you follow that until it becomes route 30 illinois uh it's it's like 20 minutes uh, west, directly west of Aurora. Oh, did so. you know that, D? No. <laughs> yeah, I lived there for four years, Isn't and right? it was like uh, discovering a new world. So. Uh, and so then as, as soon as you could, you moved back to Chicago? Sure did. Nothing sure did. wrong with Hinkley, all right? <laughs> 
Some of her best years were spent in Hinkley. Uh, so you came back to Chicago and DePaul, and uh, you went to work uh, for Local 150. Did you have any involvement in Chicago politics at all? Uh, just a lot of volunteering on campaigns. Uh, I never, um, I've never worked for a campaign. I, I always found politics fascinating. I think that's why I ended up at 150, um, and I still do a, a lot of volunteer work today. But no, not yet. Well, one of the things I've noted, and I was talking, actually talking to Ed Maher about this, uh, it's sort of a, one of our favorite topics, uh, is that your generation uh, seems to be, I may be wrong about this, correct me if I am, more open-minded uh, about unions than people uh, who are older than you. Um, we've, well, I can go on and on about how there was this hostility to the unions that goes back to roughly 1980, this is way before you're born, when um, uh, 81, I think it was, when Ronald Reagan uh, uh, closed down the PATCO strike. Uh, and um, really just, I think it's been, it was really downhill for unions for about 10 years after that. But what's your sense about how your generations, I'm presuming you're a millennial. Yes, okay. correct. Uh, and I'm <laughs> of the millennial persuasion. Um, so what's your sense of how uh, your peers view unions? Yeah, I, I think union support fluctuates with the economy, and that makes sense because um, when when wages are down, people support unions, and when uh, p wages are up, people don't see the need. Um, but I think that, I mean, we have there's studies that show that 68% of millennials and and Gen Z after us. Um, they support unions and they believe in the things that they do, and they there's just this growing number of people my age who are coming into a world with far less job opportunities and the jobs that are offered, they're what's called underemployed because they're working gigs or they're working jobs that don't even require a degree. And uh, it's, it's devastating when you've been pushed into college and told not to go to trade school and, and to get a degree and, and get a master's and then you come out and just the opportunities are not there because employers are less and less likely to provide uh, full-time jobs with benefits and financial security. So what uh, places like my organization, Local 150, does is remind people that you don't have to go to college to get a good paying job. And I think that they see that they can earn an honest day's pay for an honest day's work and have financial security without having to get into hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Um, like I did. So it's it's <laughs> like if I would have known about apprenticeships <laughs> yeah. before I went to college, I think I, I would have taken a very different what, route. What was your major, you said? Public relations. Public relations. Yeah. So in other words, yeah. uh, to pay for your DePaul degree, uh, you, you had to take out loans. Yeah, a lot of them. And you're uh, still paying them back. I'll probably pay them until I retire. All right. If I'm lucky. Wow. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you this question. This is I'm asking you this of Kim Ortiz, the human being, not Kim Ortiz, who works for Local 150. So this is Kim speaking from <laughs> her heart. All right. Uh, my opinions only. Uh, your opinions only. Uh, this has been on my mind uh, ever since. You know, some of the, the Democratic candidates for president have been proposing uh, to um, wash away uh, debt that uh, college students have for their college educations going forward to have uh, subsidized uh, tuition at um, uh, public schools. I'm a big favor of this, for the record. Uh, uh, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, uh, Pete Buttigieg, is running, uh, raises a different point of view, uh, and he thinks that it's unfair uh, if the government subsidizes uh, the the uh, 
tuition of people who go to college because they make more money. So effectively, you're subsidized. You're getting people who don't make a lot of money uh, to subsidize the incomes of people who do make more money. I completely disagree with him on that point. What is your opinion about this, Kim? You're facing uh, a, a great debt. Many of your friends are probably facing great college debt. Do you think it's better for society if? Uh, we help students with uh, college loans that we make a higher education accessible to people? I think that we fund uh, K through 12, but uh, it could go a little higher than that. And um, we, we certainly have the possibility. And I think that most of the people in my age and in my circles think that it's absurd that we go through uh, so many, so many uh, loops and then when we finally get the degree, we're in a position where um, if we don't pay it, that's the one thing that if we file for bankruptcy, we'll never get forgiven. And I, I just think about like, I can never die or because my parents will get all my loans. And I just, it's it's traumatizing. And uh, just the reality of the, of the gig economy, it's, it's not fair to people who have come into a very different world um, of war and recession, and that's all we've ever known to expect us to be able to afford a very good education. And then we're, we're not treated as, as an investment. We're not treated as someone who wants to stay in Chicago and buy a home here. It's when we don't fund higher education, then we, we can't give people my age all of the crap that we give them for not being able to um, put more money into the tax base in the form of income taxes and um, and in the form of property taxes. Because I know a lot of people my age would love to buy a home and oh. it's just never gonna be a reality. Yeah, no, that's a whole other issue, affordability yeah. issue of housing. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, particularly you're coming out of college, you got this enormous debt, uh, housing prices are outrageous. They don't really bear any relationships to people's ability to pay for the housing, yeah. if you wanna live in Chicago anyway. Uh, but my student loans are the same cost as my mortgage. So it's like I have two homes. <laughs> wow, you're it's paying messy. two homes off at the same yeah, time. Yeah. So uh, I actually, I would like to expand it. So for instance, uh, job training programs uh, to get apprentice degrees, what you're talking about to, to get into union, get good union jobs, get training. I would, I would subsidize that. I'd rather do that than pay for a war in Iran or a war in Iraq. Or yeah, we're we're pushing. Uh, speaking for 150 again. Okay, now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Kim Ortiz hat is off, and now she's 150. <laughs> uh, you know, we we're pushing. Uh, we put out commercials. We're trying to get more women, more people of color. We um, want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to avoid debt if they can and take the apprenticeship route because. I think a lot of people in Illinois, college is just not the route for them, and that's okay. And if we can get them into positions where they're they're making that honest days pay or on, yeah, honest days pay for an honest days work and having the financial security of a pension and getting good health care, I think that they value all of those things, and that's why union uh, favorability is is rising in my generation because we we see the value of it and we see the things that they're pushing for, even if it's something that is unpopular to a lot of people like an infrastructure bill because I, I'm 26 and in my entire lifetime, the gas tax hasn't risen a half a penny. And so as much as we see them fighting for these things, it's just going to keep pushing union favorability in, in my generation and in younger generations. Right. They might not know what it is, but the second they 
find out and what we're fighting for every day, they get it immediately. All right. There's two topics uh, that I want to talk about with you. One is that infrastructure bill, uh, funding infrastructure improvements in the state of Illinois, and the other has to do with the gig economy. You, you referred to both. Let's start with the infrastructure first. Uh, tell folks what they need to know about this issue. Yeah. So, um, Senator um, Sandoval introduced infrastructure bill, um, Senate Bill 103, and it's proposing uh, raising the gas tax and and raising uh, registration fees. And like I said, gas taxes haven't been raised in my lifetime. So it's crazy to think that we expect to provide safe roads and protect not only the safety of ourselves and our children, but the economy in Illinois without having bridges that people can cross and roads that people can drive on. And um, we obviously sponsor that. We think that it would create not only safety and security um, for a lot of people and the the economy here in Illinois, but it would create generations of, especially as our union is becoming more diverse, it would create generations of wealth for people and financial security for them. Just in in the capital, if the capital plan was passed, the, the years of work that that would create would be incredible. And so, so we, we support the bill and we, we hope it gets through. Uh, Is there much resistance right now? I think it's the usual bunch uh, that tr- claim that they are uh, sticking up for the working class. But I think the reality is that if they supported the working class, they would want this plethora of jobs mm-hmm. to to fund our economy and to create opportunities outside of college and the debt that they would incur there to have a, a great career um, that is that is isn't relying on gimmicks like gambling and and marijuana as as much as people want those things, that's great. We should have them, but we should also make sure that that's not how we're funding infrastructure. We're creating long-term sustainable funding for that. And I think that that's what the opposition is opposed to. They they don't want uh, to, to see these things um, passed because then that would mean that they're just all scared of taxes. Well, I, I, no, there's just a general revulsion uh, yeah. to any form of taxation, which is uh, really difficult to uh, understand uh, since we have to figure out some way, as you pointed out, to fix a bridge that's falling apart or a viaduct that's falling apart or roads that are falling apart. I ride my bike here uh, the last couple of days. Damon Avenue is just one giant pothole. Hey, infrastructure yeah. bill. Sandoval, get some of that money to fix up uh, Damon <laughs> Avenue while you're at Martin Sandoval from the Southwest side. But anyway, uh, there's always going to be some opposition. So my uh, my hope is, is that this bill would uh, directly earmark the money, the revenue to infrastructure. Because in the past, you know, money just gets absorbed by the state. And um, that feeds all kinds of cynicism on the part of taxpayers because they they don't know what exactly their money is going to. Yeah, I mean, we we put in the, the back-end work on that as well, making sure that we created uh, that lockbox and we supported that because we, we get it. Like, it's frustrating when you put all of this money, you pay all of this money in taxes and you, you drive or bike around and you're not seeing where it's going and something so basic as, as not having 50 potholes in front of your house. Um, and and so we created the lockbox to make sure that the money that's, that's there for infrastructure goes to infrastructure and specifically like the um, 
the registration fees, if those were increased, those would go specifically to transit. And a lot of people in, in Chicagoland rely on that to get to work every day. So if, if we're not funding transportation through something like an increased, uh, an increased registration fee, then how will people get to work and how will people get to work safely? I can't imagine not being able to take, I live off of the green line and the blue line. And if, if neither of those were funded or safe to take, I think it would severely disrupt the economy. And it's just irresponsible to act like we shouldn't take action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and uh, so this is a bill that's in the Senate right now. Did you say hasn't? I don't think it's gone to the House yet, has it? Uh, I just don't I, know off the top of my head. You know, we were talking about uh, there's this like very similar bill that that popped up in the House, but we're supporting the one in the Senate, uh, which was proposed by Senator Sandoval. All right, Martin Sandoval, Southwest Side. Uh, and uh, finally, we get to the issue of the gig economy. A couple days ago. Uh, the National Labor Relations Board, in its infinite wisdom, uh, whether well, lawyer or the chief counsel for the National Labor Relations Board, decided that uh, Uber drivers uh, who were trying to unionize uh, were not eligible for collective bargaining. They didn't have collective bargaining rights um, because they were entrepreneurs. I'm paraphrasing this uh, lawyer's uh, argument that entrepreneurs and essentially are business partners, if you will, of Uber. I thought it was the most ludicrous interpretation of anything resembling reality as though an Uber driver has any control over the business practices of Uber. So to to think that that person is sort of like designing Uber policy and and therefore is ineligible to bargain with Uber bosses for a higher raise, in my humble opinion, Kim is just uh, an attempt to keep Uber drivers from forming a union. What's your thoughts on this? Uh, it's terrifying. Uh, when I when I read about it, it's not only is it it's, it's just like blatant disrespect because you're like you're not an employee, therefore. Like they won't even recognize them as an employee. That's just crazy to me. Um, but what's terrifying is that 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 memo that was put out by the NLRB is going to inform future cases, and the fact that um, there's at least 23% of people who are currently in full-time jobs plan to leave mm-hmm. for uh, for a gig job in the next five years, not including the people who are already. Uh, rely on gig jobs full time because they can't. They haven't been able to find a full time job with benefits. That they're relying on this on this memo by the NLRB that will inform future cases, and they're essentially saying we're deciding now that you are not real employees and you will not be able to collectively bargain, and you're just going to have to take those jobs that have no financial security and no no benefits and no health care and deal with it. And with when. 94% of all of the the recent new jobs that have been created are gig economy jobs and not full-time jobs with benefits. That's that's the scary part because it's we're creating this really terrifying future for people my age and, and Gen Z um, beneath me. Let's just think about uh, what we've reviewed for people uh, your age. Uh, one, uh, there will be no assistance for college. You're going to have to take on loans to pay uh, for your college education. Uh, and, and when you get out of school, you're facing like, what, fifty dollars to $100,000, $200,000, whatever it is, in debt. Uh, two, well, we didn't even talk about health care. Two, uh, health care, we're going to, the Republicans are trying to get rid of Obamacare, so there's not going to be health care. And three, uh, you won't be able to find a, a job uh, that pays all the benefits, so you get a gig economy job. 
and you can't collect like two, or three of those. two or three of those. <laughs> but your entrepreneurs, yeah, your business right. partners with the leaders of Uber. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so you can't collectively bargain to negotiate with them. So they're basically telling your generation, to, they're giving you the big middle finger to your generation. Well, they tell us we're lazy. You know, that's the that's the real issue. And, and I know uh, everyone that I went to school with was working, going to school full time, had an internship or two, paid, unpaid, um, trying to just eat every night. Like we would all go to student events just to eat because we could barely make the money to pay our rent. And then like when we get out of college and think, OK, this is what all these years of work was for. Uh, many of us enter enter jobs that don't even um, require degrees and just pay wages that can barely support our, our loans. That's mm -hmm. uh, Kim Ortiz talking about. By the way, the other uh, uh, interesting thing I should uh, point out to all of my brothers and sisters uh, who are in unions who uh, voted for Donald Trump at the <laughs> National Labor Relations Board appointee. Uh, these, these are appointees by the president, and so they tilt uh, this very important board uh, against unions. So it's just something to think about, folks. You go to vote, it's not just the, which president tweets the best or which president comes up with the funniest line that really tickles your fancy. Uh, these presidents make appointments. Uh, they control all kinds of rules and regulations that govern your life that you're probably not even aware of. And all of a sudden, you're an Uber driver and you can't organize a union and so you're just screwed. Um, it goes back to who's our president. I, yeah, elections have consequences, and this this NLRB is a direct uh, result of that election. And I mean, I won't be doom and gloom the whole time. I think that when I was reading about Uber, what was refreshing to me was that there there was a spokeswoman in California, I believe, who said they're not going to recognize us as a union, but that doesn't mean we can't act like one. And we saw them come together in a strike, and um, we saw some some people saying, "Oh, you know, well that's." they're not union which they what do they expect like they're going to get treated like that but it's so good to see this uh we're in the the midst of this like strike wave and it's so encouraging to see people finally acting against corporate interest and um the special interest money that is working against us but we're we're getting collective and we're working together and I, I feel optimistic, despite you know the list of. All right, let's let's end the interview on an optimistic point of view. And there's also a presidential election right down the road. Maybe uh, there'll be a change in administration, uh, and some of these appointees, uh, you know, will be replaced by others who are more sympathetic to Uber drivers and Lyft drivers, etc. By the way, I, I don't know if you saw this, but Uber's stock. Uh, went up like three percent after this ruling came out. <laughs> so wow. yeah, I know I've probably plummeted That's since. That's good then. after <laughs> the disappointing IPO. Yeah, so. right. A disappointing IPO. Hey, well, boost it up by uh, screwing your uh, workers even more than you're already doing. Uh, Kim Ortiz, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate yes, it. You did a great job. We have uh, Nicole Cantello on deck. We're going to bring her on when we return. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. 
At Chicagoland Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicagoland Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicola Fayette. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times, and uh, Kim Ortiz has left the building. Kim Ortiz has left the building, but Hi, Kim. Uh, <laughs> Nicole Cantello is here. Uh, we also have uh, a little farewell to say to Miles, but before we do that, what do you have for me, young man? Well, only four more days until Lori Lightfoot becomes mayor, and... Lori Lightfoot shared with us today her to-do list as mayor okay. in her first 100 days. All right. Uh -huh. We uh, went through the first two. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. And I believe that was uh, safety in Chicago. Keep Chicago safe and prepare a budget that's certain to include painful cuts and tax increases to satisfy a $277 million spike in pension payments. Mm -hmm. And, well, I guess it's now time for number three. Number four. Oh, my goodness. Number three. <laughs> number three. Get with it. Uh, come on. You're my no goodness. damn best. I'm slack. Here. My goodness, getting my fours and threes mixed up. All right, we're on to number three here. And number three is build more affordable housing to stem Chicago's population losses. Wow. All right, good luck with that one. We were just talking about with uh, Kim Ortiz uh, how expensive uh, housing is in the city of Chicago uh, and how difficult it is for people of her generation, millennials, etc., to uh buy a house in Chicago, buy a condo in Chicago. Uh, and uh, Mayor Rahm left office with two humongous TIF deals, uh, subsidizing the construction of upscale housing in already gentrifying areas that will force up property taxes and force up housing costs, folks. So as Mayor Rahm is leaving, he's probably not telling you this as he's on his uh, self-congratulation, pat myself on the back tour, uh, he is uh, he is fueling the, the very uh, gentrification that Lori Lightfoot is saying, ah, I want to hold off a little bit. So it'll be interesting if she could sort of turn these tides. Look, this is a byproduct of planning by the city of Chicago that's been going on since the 90s, folks. It's not an accident that this has happened. This is People thought this was a good idea, and they've uh, doubled down on it during the, the ROM years, the eight years of ROM. 
We'll see what uh, Lori could do to stem this tide. So there you are. We're reading the uh, list of things that Lori Lightfoot, her to-do list as our, our first 100 days as mayor. We did number three, build more affordable housing to stem Chicago's population losses. Let's do one more. Big voice guy. Don't mess it up this time. Number four. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bring equity to an overly punitive ticketing policy. Oh, my God. That has unfairly targeted minority motorists and forced thousands into bankruptcy. Oh, this I mean, don't get me started on this. I could go on and on. You think Nicole, Nicole is, we're going to get started uh, on what the EPA is doing to its employees and the environment, but I could go on and on what mayors have done uh, to working people and poor people in this city. Um, you know, folks, there's consequences for our city's program. So when you spend $2.3 billion underwriting upscale development and gentrifying neighborhoods, you're de depriving the coffers of money it needs to fund government. So if you can't tax well-to-do neighborhoods because the land is now property tax exempt because you created a TIF, guess what you have to do? You have to put fees and fines on ordinary things like driving a car. So our government more and more is being financed by the most regressive form of taxation that you get. And they impound cars. It's like if you have a parking ticket, you get pulled over, they take your car away. It's utterly ludicrous. It's it's crazy. By the way, is Mayor Rahm bragging about the impounding of cars for people with parking tickets as he goes on his pat himself on the back, self-congratulation, I'm getting out of office tour? Let me look here. No. Oh, uh, isn't that interesting, huh. Mayor Rahm? He wants to be named. They want the Riverwalk named after. Maybe we should have a car towing pound. The the pounds. That's what the Mayor Rahm t car towing pound. That's what we should name for Mayor Rahm. Don't get me started, oh, Dave. He is raging out, people. <laughs> Calm down. Good uh, Lord. Hold on, I have a glass of water. Thank you. Please. All right. We did four of them. Mm. We got three more to go. We'll do those uh, before we end the show. No, all right. Very good. Uh, before I bring on Nicole Miles, I have to say, Miles has been with us from the get-go uh i think it was uh two days before the show i was watching a basketball game and it's no i was picking his dad up to go take him to a basketball game yeah, right yeah and i say hey miles could you help us out we're doing this uh, podcast you know and he said yes he would do it and he has just been the first face that anybody who comes to the ben Jarofsky show sees you greet him at the door that's good <laughs> better <are> ugly <laughs> uh so miles first of all thank you very much for the great contribution you made to the show really absolutely appreciate it. and uh so tell folks what you're going to be doing <clears throat> so what i'm doing is that i'm going to burn switzerland um in europe i'm going to be there for two months playing baseball and coaching and uh living with my girlfriend okay um in that order <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can mix it up however you want to but um yeah uh something that's something i really wanted to do i'm playing for a team called the burn cardinals or a semi-professional team I'm still a college baseball player. I have a year left at Roosevelt University. Go Lakers. <laughs> I got Roosevelt a, Lakers, not the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We're, the, we're the Roosevelt Lakers. And um, so, uh, yeah, this is an opportunity that I had to go go overseas and spend time with my girlfriend as well um, and really just, you know, become a better player, learn more about other other cultures in the world and just you just see different things for the summer instead of being in Chicago. So it's something I'm really get you out of Chicago. Now, excuse my utter ignorance and I'm going to expose really utter ignorance as a guy who rarely gets out of the studio, <laughs> let alone Chicago. What languages are the main languages that they'll be speaking where you're going? So the main languages are Swiss German, uh, French, and a little Italian, but where I'm going to be is going to be Swiss German, which is the same thing as German, but it's, but, um, it's different. Swiss German is different. They have like their own like little ways of saying, 
certain words, but if you know German, then you're gonna know Swiss German well. It's just little different things. It's like it's like Chicago, New York. It's both English, but you know we all have our different like little lingos and slangs. Are, do you speak any German? Yeah, a, little a little bit, bit? a little bit. Okay. You know, I, I'll, I'll be able to get around and say hi to people, and you know, learn, learn. You know, and the people you coach will they be speaking German or English? They're, or they're most likely gonna be speaking, you know, speaking a lot of German. My teammates are also Hispanic. So that's so that's cool. So I'll be able to talk to them a little bit as well. But it's gonna be mostly like German, Swiss German, is what I'll, that I'll be speaking. Well, when you come back, you'll be fluent in German. We'll bring you back, and you could do translation for all our German listeners. Right? Yeah. This is, you know. uh, so you'll be gone for two months. Two months. Oh. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, and I gotta mention uh, the live stream chat room and the listeners are warming up to you, Miles. Uh, we got Stephen. He weighed in here. He said, uh, "Anyone think it's suspicious that uh, you never see Miles and Lori Lightfoot in the same room at the same time? Suspicious? He should be stopping this job the same time Lori starts. Uh, <laughs> just think about it. Just think well, about it." Um, <laughs> I think uh, you were the one you ushered Lori in, one of the guests we ushered. You remember? Yes, and that was so scary because she had these four really big security guards. Where I always <laughs> told, I told all my friends, it's like we were like in the elevator. You know, the elevators like oh, this a little bit slow. I can't deal with those elevators, Miles. And, yeah, <laughs> and, then so, and then so I look around. I'm like Lori Lightfoot and these four big guys, like six four, look at me. And then um, what was her like her, her assistant, uh, Nadia? Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, she's right here. And I was like, okay, cool. Then we get in the elevator, and then we're sitting there. Uh, for some reason, the key wasn't working, uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm kind of stuck. I'm stuck in the I'm stuck in the in the elevator with Lori Lightfoot and these four big security guards and her assistant. That was that was like th- it was the scariest thing in the world because I see them just like looking at their phones, like man, I wonder when we're gonna go up there. And I'm like, yeah, I am too. As I'm trying to <laughs> trying to make the elevator work, getting us up. And it's not the biggest elevator in the world. Oh no, it, it was it was it was small. It was hot. I was nervous. Yeah, and you had to get her here. And yeah. like I'm like, where's where, where's Miles? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, well, Miles, again, thank you very much, and uh, I hope you come back. Uh, sure. Doors always open, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. And um, have a great time. Hit a home run. Train them in baseball, and have fun with your girlfriend. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me and this opportunity. Thank you to all the listeners. Dennis, you're the man. You know, Leah's going to do an amazing job here. You know, this the show is going in a great direction. I couldn't have not, I could not have been more happy to be here. All Thank right, you. very good. That's the great Miles Porter, pride and joy at Evansville, Illinois, uh, and it's going to go to Switzerland and make a name for himself. But then he'll come back. And I'll be right back here in the Ben Jarofsky Show. Thanks a lot, Miles. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We're going to switch gears. Go to Nicole. And uh, Nicole, uh, it's been a while since you've been on this show. Put those headphones on. There you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, There you go. You got it. There you go. You're a pro. Uh, So welcome back. Great to be here. And things have changed since the last time you were on the show. Uh, you were what, were what was your position with the uh, with the the union? You were the steward, did you yeah, say? I was chief steward, but at that time I was still an EPA employee. Do, um, being a, a lawyer for EPA, I was prosecuting cases. Now I've taken over as the president of AFGE Local 704, and so I'm working full time as a union president. Wow. Well, yeah. congratulations on the new gig. Uh, I, I don't know if it's good news for the EPA because you were a very effective lawyer for the EPA. I presume they hired someone to replace you. We're going to get into staff cuts. Have they hired somebody to replace you for the job that you had? They have not hired anyone to replace me. And I was senior counsel for water and water enforcement.
enforcement and no one has replaced me. All right. Well, let's talk about that for a little while. The first thing, there's so much uh, on the list of things uh, to talk about, but at the top of the list has to do with the Environmental Protection Agency under Donald Trump, uh, as you put it, shrinking the staff. What does that mean when it says shrinking the staff? Yes. So this is something that he announced right from the top of um, the administration. You know, right in January of 2017, he announced that he wanted to shrink the EPA staff by 40 percent. And we are two years into it and he is doing it. Um, And so Mm -hmm. right now um, we started in uh, 2017 with um, an EPA region five, which is the Chicago office. Mm -hmm. And let me just um, tell you where uh, we cover. We cover six states. So we cover Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, um, and Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Our six states, uh, we have a main office in Chicago and we have some satellite offices. We had 1,098 people um, at the beginning of the Trump administration. Uh, Today, I asked uh, management how many people we have, and we have 962. So Mm -hmm. we're down 140-odd people um, doing the work that we had, um, same work, if not more, that we had um, back in um, uh, in the beginning of the Trump administration. So we're down 140 people. That's a lot for us. Um, and we, you know, right now we believe we cannot pre- protect, you know, human health and the environment with the people that we have on board right now. All right, let's talk about the, the jobs at the people that he's cut. So 140 people have moved on. Now I presume, before we go any further, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is through attrition. In other words, like in your case, uh, Nicole gets a new job. There's a vacancy in her old job. They just don't fill it. Correct. That's that's right. There's people quitting. There's people who are leaving and retiring. What Trump has done is made the uh, being at EPA not a pleasant experience. You know, these people came to the EPA to protect the environment, to do good for the American people. Uh, He is uh, making the uh, their tenure at the EPA, uh, you know, not uh, something that uh, where he is uh, rolling back. Uh, protections instead of allowing these people to protect the environment. And so these people want to leave. So people are leaving in droves and, and they're, and then he's not replacing anybody. All right. Let's talk about some of the jobs of the people who have left. Give me an example of some of the jobs. Well, so one of the things I did want to highlight today is he is, um, uh, not replacing any folks who are enforcers. And these are the people who, when someone violates the law, they would bring a case against that person. Uh, and they would, um, for instance, find them mm-hmm. and bring them back into compliance and make sure that they wouldn't violate the law again, stop polluting. And so uh, these people, the enforcers, are people that they are not replacing, uh, and they uh, are stopping them uh, from stopping, st- stopping any enforcement in the field. So the, we- the way that we know this is the amount of inspections that are going on in the field. These people have to go out and inspect. They catch the polluter. They stop them. We know that the inspections have gone down so much that now, I mean, from the time when the administration started to the time when, um, uh, to the time now, uh, the inspections have, have got, you know, are down to half to one third to one quarter of what they were when we started out. Mm. Yeah, I, this on a parallel thing, I saw this, uh, an article, uh, a, very, a similar thing is happening with the IRS. I hate pay, paying taxes as much as the next person, but uh, you have to pay taxes if you're going to have a government, if you're going to f- uh, finance things for the public good. And there's attrition going on at the IRS. And it, guess what? That means uh, wealthier people who are the ones who 
probably would be audited in the past or not being audited. Uh, so the burden goes to the rest of us. That's a consequence of attrition with the IRS. So when you talk about a lack of enforcement, do you think there's more pollution that's just going uh, unaccounted for, that's being going unpunished, unsupervised? Uh, that is that the direct consequence? What kind of pollution are we talking about? Right. No, that's exactly right. When there's no um, enforcement going on, there's no deterrence out in the field. So there's no one thinks that they're going to get caught. So then, you know, there's there's a license to pollute. So that's what's happening here. We're talking about folks who are um, discharging into waters of the United States. We're talking the Great Lakes here in Region Five, as well as big big streams that we covered, like the Ohio River, the Mississippi River as well as small streams that you think of, like the Mahoning River in Ohio, um, uh, you know, think, streams like that. Uh, we're talking about uh, polluting the air. Mm -hmm. uh, one um, interesting case is stereogenics, you know, the big case out in Willowbrook. Yeah. EPA took no action in that case. EPA started to look at that case by putting in the monitors to measure, you know, the pollution coming out of stereogenics. And then once they found that there was high levels of that pollutant coming out of that, of, it's called um, ethylene oxide coming out of that facility. They took no action to stop that facility from polluting. It took the state of Illinois to do something about that. And so that's some, that there's right there a case where EPA is not taking any enforcement action there. That is so unusual. In, in any other administration, EPA would have stepped in right there because it was their monitoring. It was EPA's monitoring that caught. Now, when you say any other administration, uh, you go back... You've served under Republicans, correct? That's right. Uh, so what is different about uh, Donald John Trump's administration uh, as opposed to other, like George W. Bush? I'm not saying he's a model uh, environmentalist, but what's the difference between Trump's attitude toward the EPA and, let's say, George Bush's? Well, yeah, I mean, Trump is, like I said, and we're two years into Trump trying to burn EPA to the ground. I mean, this is an, an administration that is not only... Um, hostile to environmental protection. They don't believe in it at all. Trump, I, I mean, Bush at least, believed that polluters should be caught. Trump does not have any interest in doing that, so he's putting up every barrier you could possibly have to um, trying to catch any environmental polluters. He's trying to, you know, put up barriers to enforcement. Um, our folks are feeling those barriers and are not enforcing on any uh, level of the way that they used to. And the, the stereogenics case is the perfect example. Like I said, here's a, here's a situation where EPA did the monitoring. After you do monitoring, then you're supposed to enforce. There they didn't. They, we had to wait until a new administration came in in the state of Illinois, and then the Pritzker administration came in and took an action. Yeah, that's another point I had to make. The under-rounder, the previous I, governor, that was very weak uh, on that particular case. Exactly. And in Wisconsin... Um, the uh, Scott Walker administration severely uh, wimpy on enforcing uh, environmental uh, laws, etc. So you talk about um, uh, a license to pollute. It's a two-front thing. On one hand, uh, the enforcement. What about the monitors? Are we seeing cuts uh, in staffing of people who actually go out and test the water or test the air or do the kind of monitoring that you're alluding to. Exactly. So when I say that there's no inspectors, those are the folks that go out and check to see if folks are complying. Mm -hmm. Those are exactly the folks that are in the field. When there's no presence in the field, no one's going out there to see if there's any pollution going on. So um, some of the states have um, folks that are, you know, inspections, but the, the federal government goes out unannounced. Mm -hmm. 
the state goes out, and they, when the state goes out, they call the facility beforehand. Usually, the federal government goes out and announces. So those are the so the federal government really does catch folks when they're when they're polluting, and that that's not happening um, in the um, agency. Uh, I'll give you an example. So there's the underground injection control program. This is otherwise known as the fracking people. These are mm -hmm. the people that go and take a look at these underground injection wells that you know they, where they shoot pollution into the ground. This is the fracking wells. Uh, in uh, in Region Five, they did 1,200 inspections in 2000, approximately 12,200 inspections in 2016. 2017, they did 700. In 2018, they did 500. In 2019, so far, now we had a 35-day shutdown, but in 2019, so far, there's not one that's been recorded. Wow. So we went from 1,200 to zero. But, but there's not one in, on the books that I could find that I could find in the, in the region. So this is, you know, a dire situation, and, um, you know, I'm here to, to witness it and to tell everybody about it. Now, there seems like there's a two-fold problem. One hand, uh, people leave, they don't replace them, and the other hand, it seems as though they're making life very difficult for the people who work there to probably encourage them uh, to leave. So uh, what are some of the things they're doing to make life difficult for employees of the EPA? Yeah, so they, you know, they, they're doing things like doing additional, um, more, more than usual, uh, disciplinary actions, uh, you know, trying to cut down on the amount of days they can work at home, cutting down on the, their, or trying to watch very closely, you know, whether or not they can work, what schedule they can work, all these kind of perks that the federal employees used to get because they take a cut in pay, um, and reasonably working in the private sector. Um, now they're they're monitoring those very closely, and you know, like I said, they're taking disciplinary actions. So things like that in order to just harass them, so that they you know want to leave and not work at the EPA anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, so is there just some philosophical uh, justification for this? In other words, uh, if you can give the devil its due, and we're really struggling to give the devil its due here, um, is there? Do they have some kind of belief that the market will? Govern itself. I'm trying to figure out, like, what rational could there be for saying you're going to uh, and yeah. what cut away 40 percent of the EPA workforce to, you know, what, what, how do they think the environment is? The environment just going to protect itself? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they don't believe that these regulations are worth enforcing. I think they think that there's too many regulations out there and that these regulations are useless and won't result in any kind of environmental or human health benefit. And so they would rather them, you know, us not enforce them, and they would rather um, they they um, these these um, uh, uh, you know industry go un unmolested, and so that's what that's what they're that's what they're you know aiming for. They're aiming for folks uh, like us not to be in the field and not bothering these folks, and allow them to these industry and have, allow them to just go ahead and have their way with the streams and the air that we breathe, and have them allowed to. To, to you know, pollute unmolested. Like I said, yeah. uh, presumably the people who have made this, this, this determination are not the one getting cancer from uh, pollutants. Uh, Nicole Contello is my guest, uh, president of uh, the American Federation of Government Employees, Local Seven Hundred Four. We'll be right back with more from Nicole after this. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago culture. Food, 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Sad news, everybody. After five years in Andersonville, Murray and White has made the difficult decision to close their doors. But everything in the store is on sale now. Notable sale items. Voluspa and Nest Fragrances brand candles are 20% off. These lines can rarely be found on sale. So while 20% isn't the greatest discount, lovers of both these popular candle lines have been buying them up. All rugs, 30% off. In-store and new orders through June 1st. All floor sample furniture, 30 to 50% off. Antique furniture pieces 40 to 50 percent off pillows 40 percent off picture frames 40 percent off and jewelry 40 to 50 percent off mirrors and wall art 30 to 50 percent off home decor and accessories 20 to 60 percent off lamps 50 percent off a lot of discounts here people it's in Andersonville. It's Murray and White. Once again, after five years in Andersonville, Murray and White has made the difficult decision to close their doors but head there now and get some fantastic deals. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right. That super cool music means we're coming down the wire here, but we still have a little time left. Nicole Cantello from uh, the American Federation of Government Employees in the studio with me talking about the cuts, devastating cuts, in my humble opinion, that Donald Trump is making at the uh, EPA. I don't know, at the same time this is happening, uh, there's just a report that I, was, I sent you this text earlier today, Nicole, breaking news, Scott Pruitt, the former head of the EPA, $124,000 they're trying to, of expenditures, having nothing to do with uh, enforcing environmental laws, having nothing to do for protecting us from toxins, pollutants, etc. What was it, furniture? He was, I forget what it was, uh, 124 grand. Do you remember what it was that he, he spent the money on? He spent it on um, first class tickets. Oh, first, uh, that's him, him, sorry. And his security detail. Yeah. And there was no reason for it except that it was somehow, it, it endangered his life to fly coach. 
<laughs> I wouldn't want his life to be in danger by flying coach. Uh, but I, I just, this is me. I would rather have the money going, let's say, to combat companies from polluting the air with uh, cancer-causing agents. Or to protect children from lead, you know, lead, lead exposure. That would be good. Yeah, that would be uh, really good. Uh, now, there was an article in the New York Times. I showed you this. Uh, <laughs> I had a kind of laugh in a very painful way. It's bad. It's real. Just don't call it climate change. Mayors in the mid- Midwest hope to find solutions without bringing politics into it. Uh, and uh, I urge everybody to read it, but it, I'll boil it down to this. Um, because our country uh, has not unified in accepting that uh, there are <laughs> decisions by men that shape the environment and are causing problems for the environment um, because of the Republican Party, I'll just be blatant, uh, open about it, uh, denies climate change as a consequence that mayors who may be Republican in communities that may be full of Republican who are seeking help and assistance dealing with the consequences of climate change are like pleading with environmentalists not to talk about climate change because they're afraid of offending Donald Trump. I thought it was the Republicans that did not subscribe to political correctness, Nicole, but it sure seems like it's political correctness of the right wing version. You're not allowed to call it climate change, even though it's climate change. Uh, but we have to deal with it. If you're a Republican mayor of a town in Iowa and you're like the rivers are flooding your town, you need help. But you're not allowed to say, oh, you can't say it's anybody's fault because that goes against the grain. It's utter madness. Do you agree with me on that one, Nicole? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, we feel at APA. So like on the outside world, everybody knows climate change is here and is causing these devastating effects. But inside the administration, talking about climate change is like the third rail. You cannot talk about it. You can't, you know, mention it as part of your, you know, daily everyday work. And in fact, you know, when Trump proposed its its budget for FY 2020, which is the next fiscal year coming up, he cut all climate change uh, programs at EPA. Um, and so, you know, this is not something that that Trump is going to admit. Uh, needs any kind of attention and if you're smart as a bureaucrat working at EPA and you want a program to go forward or you want some uh, supplemental environmental project to uh, be approved you would not ever want to associate it with climate change you know because that would be killing it um, uh, in any you know and uh, towards any kind of approval process so yes uh, for everybody else climate change is an accepted thing but for this administration and inside the four walls of this administration uh, climate change does not exist and is not um, an important thing to take care to worry about. My my concern really is that you know we've been told that we have to do something about climate change within the next ten years, mm-hmm. or we're all cooked. And not only are we cooked, our children are cooked, our grandchildren are cooked, and then the next twenty generations are cooked. And this agency, EPA, is the agency that's going to have to deal with the mandatory reductions of you know carbon and uh, in, in our environment. And this president is, you know, devastating this agency right now that's going to have to, in the next 10 years, be at the forefront of taking on this, like, massive reduction in carbon um, for our country. And how are we going to build up this agency back up right at the moment when we needed to tackle this gigantic problem? You know, that is just a huge issue that I worry about, um, you know, because right now he's, you know, he's tearing it apart. And, you know, it's this agency has to is going to have to at some point take on this gigantic problem. And, we, you know, how are we going to 
you know, build it back up. It's going to have to take on a lot more staff. It's going to have to deal with the, the biggest problem maybe humankind has ever faced. And right now we're going backwards. Mm -hmm. We're in reverse. It's just, you know, it seems absolutely an awesome problem. Well, in my humble opinion, I'm speaking for myself, not for you or your union. I think that the, the, mo the immediate long-term goal, if you will, you got to get a new president. Uh, because this president is insane on many levels, but his attitude toward the environment uh, is particularly devastating and destructive. Um, that's me speaking. Now, uh, short term, uh, please give our listeners some sense of what they can do. They're hearing this distressing story about all these cuts at the EPA, the, the people who monitor uh, pollution, look for pollution, the people who enforce the laws to prevent people from polluting, the lawyers who drag people in the court. These people are being let go, fired, retired, whatever, not being replaced. So it's effectively raising the white flat, letting people uh, pollute at, at will. Uh, very dangerous, very destructive. Uh, Nicole, what recommendations can you give our listeners? If they want to get involved, they want to put on pressure. What is there, what, what can they do? You know, I would just say Congress has a big role to play here um, in what EPA does and putting pressure on Congress to put pressure on the executive branch is the best way to go here, especially Republicans. There are Republicans who are very interested in keeping uh, their constituents happy. Uh, a lot of constituents are being poisoned right now in various different ways because of the inaction of the Trump administration. I'll give just one example. There's a chemical out there called PFAS, PFAS. That chemical is poisoning a lot of people drinking water. In the state of Michigan, is the one state that is the most poisoned. Um, and uh, they, there's 13 different bills in Congress right now that's trying to deal with this, many of which are bipartisan that are being proposed by Republicans. We are the agency that will have to clean up that mess. Um, you would have to. You would think that there would be Republicans out there that would want to staff us up and have us be a very potent agency in dealing with that mess. Um, so putting pressure on those Cong Congress people who want us to deal with things like that would um, allow EPA to be fully funded and fully, um, you know, fully capable of dealing with environmental problems. What and a so bizarre notion! Away. Let's just think about this. Pause and think what would pick apart what you just said. Uh, Republicans sense that uh, their constituents want bills that protect uh, them from environmental destruction. So they'll, they'll support or propose bills. And yet they stand back and allow Donald Trump to annihilate the entity, the agency that's supposed to enforce the bills. So what's the point of passing a bill if you're not going to have people to enforce the bill? Well, you know, they, they think you could do more with less. That's, you know, their theory of environmental protection. I, I have a theory. Let's try to do more government with less Republicans. That's my theory. How about that? I'll, uh, I'll go with that one. <laughs> oh, I was going to say my, that was Ben speaking, not Nicole. But she, she weighs in. Uh, and um, is there a website people can go to, to uh, that, that gives them more information about all these? Uh, you, you can follow us on Twitter at, at 704AFGE. Okay, very good. Nicole, um, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to have you come back again for updates on this. Uh, and uh, we're heading into an election cycle, folks. So there is one ultimate remedy that you have. we got listeners. Uh, Illinois is uh, a, a blue state, but people in Wisconsin, you drink the water, you breathe the air. All right, don't pretend like you, 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 you can live with pollution. People in Michigan, great job in that last election, Michigan. Uh, what was it, 80,000 vote difference for... Uh, 
uh, Donald John Trump. Hope you love your polluted water. Let's get it right this time, Michigan. You screwed it up in 2016. Let's get it right in 2020. That's Ben Jarofsky speaking, not Nicole, right? Nicole, that's me speaking. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. All right, very good. D, you got an update for us before we head out the door? Absolutely, I do here. First off, uh, live stream viewers. Well, hey, we had the live stream up today. Yeah, that's yeah yesterday just crapped out on me. I couldn't figure it out. But uh, live stream viewers, check out the guns on Ben Jarofsky. Look at that, wearing his T-shirt today. <laughs> Not, you don't have actual guns, your yeah, arms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look at those guns. My yeah, goodness. Yeah. Flexing there. All right. Yeah, it's from uh, bike riding. Yeah, he's a bike rider, guys. <laughs> All right. So we, uh, we're going to finish out our list here of Lori's list of goals in her first 100 days as mayor of Chicago. But first, we have a national update before we get out of here. Uh, announcing his administration's immigration reform plan, Donald Trump said today to, uh, that, quote, to promote integration, assimilation, and national unity, future immigrants will be required to learn English and pass a civics exam prior to admission. I'd like to give that civics exam to Trump. Uh, I don't believe Trump can pass a civics exam. Let's ask Trump how TIFFs work. There we go. Uh, ben, uh. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you t- Donald Trump has to take a civics. T- Hope there's no ethics part of the civics exam. <laughs> He'll definitely flunk that part of the civics exam. Trump, Good God. Trump adds that if the legislation can't be passed for, quote, political reasons, it will wait until Republicans take back the House and retain control of the White House and oh, Senate in 2020. God, there's a frightening thought. We just talked to Nicole. They won't. Wait, Republicans, you want to take back the House to deal with the all-important issue of whether immigrants can pass the Donald Trump's civic exam, which he can't pass, but you're not going to enforce environmental laws. So you're going to die from pollution, but at least as you're gasping out, you'll know that some immigrant knows ethics the way Donald Trump wants him to know ethics. Good God. <laughs> Don't get me started, D. <laughs> Only four more days until Lori Lightfoot becomes mayor. Lori Lightfoot shared with us today her to-do list okay. as mayor in her first 100 days. All right, we've covered one through four. We'll recap those. Keep Chicago safe. Prepare a budget that's certain to include painful cuts and tax increases to satisfy $277 million spike in pension payments. Build more affordable housing to stem Chicago's population loss oh, and bring equity equity to an overly punitive ticketing policy oh, yeah. that has unfairly targeted Absolutely. minority motorists and forced thousands into bankruptcy. Oh, Jaroski was <laughs> riffing on <laughs> that one. He was pissed. Yeah. All right, so it is now time for number five. Uh, number five yeah. on our list uh, to do here in our first 100 days as mayor. Level a playing field titled in favor. We were just talking about this. Titled in favor of Uber, Lyft, and Via by dramatically increasing ride hailing fees, imposing a New York style cap on ride hailing licenses banning out-of-state motorists who have flooded Chicago streets or perhaps all three. Yeah, Lori is talking about this. Remember, she said this at the hideout. She's big on this. It's one of her favorite issues. Uh, And add to the list, allow Uber drivers to uh, collectively bargain and form a union. Come on, Lori, join that crusade. And by the way, Lori, uh, her name is Nicole Canty. I want you to give Nicole Cantello a phone call and join her crusade uh, to uh, try to put some political pressure on Donald Donald Trump and the Republicans, uh, not just to decimate the EPA, because we breathe air in Chicago. We drink water in Chicago. It affects us, too. We have an environment here in the city of Chicago. So don't 
duck and dodge that issue, Lori Lightfoot. Two more to go. Time for number six. I'm oh, wait. not a perfect person. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That was Jamie Pritzker. Number there six. There we go. Sorry about that. Number six here is reform a city council bracing for what could be its biggest ever corruption scandal in part by televising committee meetings and broadening the already sweeping powers of Inspector General Joe Ferguson. All right. I'm all for... Uh, uh, having televised uh, city council meetings, uh, and uh, yeah, let's let uh, Inspector General uh, Ferguson take a look at how the city council spends its money. But if you're heading down that road toward Aldermanic prerogative, don't get me started on that, D. Oh God! All right, I'll I'll let Aldermanic prerogative for another moment. And our final one, no, yeah. it's not. Make more trips to the Ben Jarofsky show. <laughs> Number seven. Yeah, I got a feeling she won't be coming back anytime <laughs> me soon. Me either. Uh, and seat a cabinet that's likely to include. Include at least some holdovers from Mayor Rahm Emanuel's administration. That was Why? number seven. I don't know. <laughs> did, did I didn't make a the bang list. up job. What, what, uh, please, nobody from finance. I mean, revenue. I mean, God, these are the ones who uh, got us, fed us that TIF deal, uh, the Lincoln Yards TIF deal, and the uh, 78 TIF. I don't I guess that she's trying. That's some. That's a very Chicago thing. All right, Bendrowski not too keen on number seven. Yeah, all right, no, Lori with number seven. Ixnay on seven. <laughs> Ixnay on Evan. Seven. There you go. Nice, oh, nice. Man. Good pig Latin. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody, and also we're almost to our uh, next caption contest. Fifteen hundred likes, and we will have our next caption contest. Right now, at the moment, I'm looking at it. We are at four or fourteen thousand, one thousand four hundred twenty. Nine likes. So head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Give us a like, tell your friends, and when we hit 1,500, we'll have our next caption contest. All right, very good. Good job, as always. I want to thank Nicole for being here. I want to thank Kim Ortiz, Evan Moore earlier in the show. Miles, have a great trip, a great safe time in Europe. We'll see you in a couple. Uh, miss you. Yeah, we we haven't he hasn't left yet. Uh, we will miss you. Uh, and uh, Aliyah will be replacing you, stepping in. We're going to welcome her to the show tomorrow. And uh, also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Yes, indeed, they call him White Lightning back in Alton. And, nope. <laughs> uh, Doctor D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, I think we're on Stitcher. Check it out. And like I said, we're almost to 1,500 likes. Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, at Benny J Show. Give us a like, follow, share, review, whatever you want to do. And we hit 1,500. We will have our next caption contest. I believe it'll be a J.B. Pritzker caption contest. That sounds fun. See you tomorrow.